All right, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Good. That was a phenomenal set. So round of applause for them. For those who do not know who I am, that's just too bad. <laughs> I'm kidding. My name is Jacob Dolezal, and I am one of your deacons, and I run the kids' ministry in the back. So last week, we had our panel discussion, and we wrapped up our devotional series on misinterpreted scriptures, which we also wrapped up Nathan's series of seven things that Christians should know about their Bible. So let's consider today's message an epilogue, a practical application epilogue. Today we're going to do a bigger version of what we've been doing during our devotional time. So during that period, if you missed them, which they're all on YouTube, so go back and check them out, we each got a commonly misinterpreted verse, and then we would talk about uh, how it was misinterpreted and how it should be properly interpreted. And today we're going to look at three verses. We're going to break them down and get to the bottom of what they mean and talk a little bit about how they get misused. Primarily the goal of today is to... Well, it would really help if I didn't, like, actually start editing my document in the middle of talking about it. <laughs> so primarily, the goal of today is to show you how to get to the meat of Scripture, breaking so that we can, uh, with some examples of verses that you guys already know. As we're breaking down each verse, it's going to seem like each is a devotional of its own, so the transitions may be a bit choppy, so please bear with me. We're going to start by going over the verse that I did for my devotion, which was Proverbs 22.6. If you listened to my devotion and were here for that time, you're just going to get a little recap. Proverbs 22.6, which is, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, when you ask me to list out verses that are misused or misunderstood, I can give you quite a few. We're going to be talking about them later. But this was not one of them. So I had to dig into the verse as to how it was being misinterpreted. And the more that I read, the sadder I became, as I realized that parents were taking this verse and using it as a source of shame when it came to the outcome of their children. They were taking this verse as a promise rather than what it is, a proverb. So let's start here. What's the difference between a promise and a proverb? A promise, this is the easy one because we should all know what this is is, by definition, a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or a particular thing will happen. Now let's compare this to the definition of a proverb, which is a short, pithy saying in general use stating a general truth or word of advice. So proverbs are general truths about the way the world works, not specific promises that encompass every situation. For example, let's look at a couple proverbs. Proverb 10.4 says, Poor is one who works with a lazy hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Now both these verses are talking about the hardworking and the lazy and how it affects their wealth. This makes sense to us, but we all know situations where a lazy person inherits wealth. And 
I know plenty of hardworking people that are stuck in poverty for reasons beyond their control. In the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, we're given some uses for this book. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of King David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and integrity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise person will hear and increase in learning, and a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, not whittles, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This being said then, then reading Proverbs 22.6 as a promise misses what the nature of the scripture is. A child trained up in the way he should walk in a perfect world would not depart from it when he gets older. Now we don't live in a perfect world. Sin sadly has its grip on humanity as a whole. A parent can train up their child in the ways of the Lord, and then during their young adult years, they decide to walk away from the faith. Is that an indictment on the parents? I don't necessarily believe so. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Both children in the story display lost behaviors, but in different manners. Do we ever think that the younger son's rebellious nature or the older son's hardened heart is a result of the father's teachings? No, we don't. How should we be using this proverb then? Wisely, as Solomon has said in 1.3, that this is to be used for as instruction and wise behaviors. After some research, I found out that in the Hebrew text of this verse, the English translation adds the word should. So in essence, this verse should read, to train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I think Dr. Gordon Hugenberger explains this piece quite well. He says, accordingly, Proverbs 22.6 is not so much a promise as it is a solemn warning. Parents, if you train up your child according to his way, in other words, if you quit the hard work of loving discipline and just give in and let your child have his own way, you will reinforce his sinful proclivities to such degree that apart from a supernatural intervention, Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The book of Proverbs elsewhere places similar urgency on the discipline of children and the danger of them being left to follow one's own way. And I think, you know, all of us having been or are teenagers know the danger of following your own path. With this warning in mind, I think we should ask, How should training up a child in the way he should go look like then? Well, to begin, is training that is something that is an easy task? No, not at all. To train is to teach a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. This is a hands-off approach. This this isn't a hands-off approach to raising your children. It's a deliberate shaping of the child. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. My father is here. I read this for him. (laughs) 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Which leads us to the second half of the first sentence, the way he should go. The way he should go is instruction of the Lord, showing them who God has called them to be. See, in Proverbs 22:15, it says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of discipline will remove it from him. Which gives us a little insight as to why we need to train and discipline our children. Guys, they don't know any better. And they need to be shown which way is the correct path. Children need correction and guidance in their lives, or else they'll just be wandering souls, innocent, waiting for the icy grip of the world to dig their claws into them. I don't say this to scare you as much as give you the reality of your calling as parents. It's a special gift, but it comes at a heavy cost. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. This is saying that if we ignore the proper discipline and correction, it may as well be taking part of your child's death. It's very strong words. Now we get to the second half of Proverbs 22.6. This is where people take this as a promise. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But taking this as a promise loses sight of one significant piece of the puzzle. Our children are human. They will still make their own choices. We can give them all they need to succeed in this world, but if they choose unwisely, it is their choice. Sometimes we think of them as a model train, and once we get all the tracks set up, that they'll just go in a circle for the rest of their lives. But we know that's not how it is. We were children once ourselves. God talks about Israel in Hosea 11. He says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called him, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. As the chapter goes on, God talks and describes about how much he cared for them and all the things that he did, yet they still turned away from him. So even if God, the literal perfect father, has children who turn away from him, you, you may all be wonderful parents, but you do not compare to our Heavenly Father. I say this not to let yourself be discouraged. Maybe you've made mistakes in the past, and you didn't train up your child in the ways of the Lord, but there's always a place to start now. If your child is still young, awesome. Get started. If your child, oh, you know, can't edit now. I just wanted to see how long you guys would sit quietly. <laughs> now, if your children are grown, you can still have impact on them. You know, the devotional series, thanks, Mark. The devotional series that we did before this past one, we talked about how people who know your past can still be affected by your faith now. So share with them your mistakes and be a godly influence in their lives. To parents who are training their kids in the ways of the Lord, keep up the great work. You know, as a teacher in Kids Point, we have so many kids that are excited to talk about Jesus, talk about the Bible, and that is so encouraging. So do not lose faith, please. 
And before, so parents set the tone for their children, whether they want to or not. That's just kind of how the system works. Before we move on to the next verse, let's look at one more proverb. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. This is part of the reward of raising your children. Children, Delight to your heart. We've talked a lot about the weight of this duty. And that while that's true, they really do make it all worth it. So the next verse that we're going to be looking at is that I kind of talked about up here last week was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. I'm sure you've all heard this verse from time to time. It's got such a positive message. And if we just stuck with what that verse said without looking at any other things, I'm sure we'd win a ton of people over. This verse was very important to me when I became saved as a believer. I mean, this is a promise to me, right? That's why it's in the Bible. Unfortunately, that's not its intended purpose. To understand why we're talking about this plan of hope and future, we have to understand just what is going on in the context in Jeremiah. First, though, I want to talk about one thing. Before we were, when we were looking at Proverbs 22.6, we talked about what a proverb was. And I'd ask you, is this verse that we're talking about now, is this a proverb? No, it isn't. Jer the book of Jeremiah is a compilation of the story of Jeremiah's life as a prophet to Israel. Uh, so we need to understand what literary form of the book that we're reading. Uh, it's like trying to go to math class and you bring your history book. It just it won't, it will not help you. But this is just our beginning step. Now we could go back and just look at a couple verses beforehand that would be extremely helpful. But I want to look at the book as a whole to get a greater perspective. Who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet by God, sent by God to Israel. And his job, in God's words, was, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. At this point, we can see just how big of a job Jeremiah had in front of him. If we break this down, we can see two clear motives that Jeremiah had to accomplish. One being to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, and the other being to build, to plant. We know through scripture at this point, Israel is not being totally faithful to God. So we can look at this destruction that God wants Jeremiah to do would be a way to correct Israel from their wayward path. Yet, if we look at the other side of the coin here, this job isn't just all doom and gloom. If you're planting, that means that you're expecting growth to come from there. Farmers just don't go to the desert and plant thousands of corn kernels and expect there to be growth. That would be foolish, and we doubt if they were really a farmer to begin with. Over the course of his time as a prophet, Jeremiah was both a warning of things to come if things didn't change, but also someone who was able to relay God's message of hope. Through the majority of Jeremiah, we see him warning Israel of what is to come. 
As I said earlier, at this point, Israel has broken its covenant with God. They have been worshiping other gods, making idols, and even some taking on some local rituals, such as making sacrificial offering of children. Yet here's the best part. They continued to worship the one true God as though nothing was go- going wrong. So I want to read you uh, some scripture from Jeremiah 7. This is Jeremiah. He's at the temple's gate, and he begins to preach. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a person and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor follow other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you live in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal and other gods that you have not known? Then come stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are saved. So that you may do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Then we're going to skip ahead to verses 30 through 34. For the sons of Judah, which had that have done which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have put their detestable things in the house which the Lord has called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Topeth, which is in the valley of Ben-Hemon, to burn their sons and their daughters in fire, which I did not command. It did not come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the day, behold days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topeth, or the valley of Ben-Hemon, but the valley of the slaughter. They will bury in Topeth because there is no other place. The dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the sky and for the animals of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will eliminate from the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the groom and the voice of of the bride, for the land will be a site of ruins. This is quite a predicament that Jeremiah is facing. At the end, he's talking about Babylon coming and overthrowing Jerusalem. So Jeremiah had been prophesied that Babylon would overthrow Israel and rule over them in captivity for 70 years. This has all been leading up to where we get to Jeremiah 29. So let's read verses 29, uh, or Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and father sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give them Give your daughters to husbands so that they may give birth to sons and daughters and grow in numbers there and do not decrease. 
Seek the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray, that, pray to the Lord in its behalf. For in its prosperity will be your prosperity. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets who are in your midst or your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to their interpretations of your dreams, which you dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster. To give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me where you search for me with your, all your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. See, Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah's call at the beginning of Jeremiah was he was sent to root out and destroy, but also to build and plant. And this is where we get into the rebuilding side. This message of Jeremiah was sent to a group of people that have just been told the captivity that they were in was not as temporary as they may have thought. So I want you to take a moment and think about this from their perspective. You've just been taken into captivity forcibly, and the message that you get from your prophet is, get comfortable, we're going to be here a while. For me, the anxiety would just begin to start seeping into my body. So I want to take a brief moment, though, and look at verses 8 and 9 within there. Do not let your prophets who are in your midst or your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to their interpretations of your dreams which you dream. For they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them. This sort of seems out of place because isn't Jeremiah a prophet? And he's the one delivering this message. For context here, in Jeremiah 28, a false prophet named Hananiah started telling people that God had told him that Babylon would be gone in two years' time. And that's not what God had been telling Jeremiah. So the Lord sent Jeremiah to Hananiah, and this is what he told him. Now listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust a lie. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Behold, I am going to remove you from the face of the earth. This year, you are going to die because you folk spoke falsely against the Lord. So the next verse says, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. God takes care of his people. All right, so back to the anxiety that I'm feeling because I'm being told I'm being kept in captivity for much longer than I ever anticipated. I'd be desperate clinging to every word that this prophet is sharing with me would give. So then we come to verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans for prosperity and not disaster. To give you a hope and a future. This was a hope that they needed to get through this time. This was a promise from a God that had been honest and true to his word the entire time. Not only had he proven himself to these people time and time again, we just talked about how he dealt with a false prophet spreading false hope amongst the Israelites. 
All that being said, yes, Jeremiah is an extremely encouraging verse, but not because it was written for you or for me, but for something else entirely. This verse is encouraging because it is a reminder of just who the God we serve is. It reminds us that even in the midst of a dark time for his people, he still gave them hope. It's a reminder that God speaks truth to his people. And in this world, that's becoming less and less common. That is something that we have to hold fast to. Sure, it's not as glamorous as claiming this verse for you and it, it, what it is and just, it's just the 11. But let me tell you why I think this is just as valuable. What you guys don't really know about me is that I struggle with anxiety on a consistent basis. If something pops up in my everyday life that was not on my schedule or not part of my routine, I immediately get anxiety about it. And this week was especially anxious because of coming up here. All week I was constantly nauseous and getting sick in anticipation for what today is. So you see what this verse is for me is a reminder of the one who I choose to anchor myself to. While I struggle to fight anxiety in this world, I can pull myself back down to the ground because of who I have tethered myself to. In this constant stormy world, God is the same. He doesn't leave his plate people out to dry. He didn't do it then and he won't do it now. He is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All right, so we got one more. You made it through two. Well done. Uh, we got one more. Uh, but first, we're going to do a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, but I don't know if it's really a rabbit hole, if it's a planned rabbit hole. Uh, anyway, so my family, I, I talk about them a lot. Uh, that's awkward because they're here. So that, that makes me, we're pretty close. And for those who know us, you can know that we are kind of weird, but like in a fun way. Right? <laughs> we get super nerdy and geeky about random things and pay super close attention to them. But one thing that like we would all get excited about was we every Wednesday night we'd get around the TV and watch Lost. Now did anybody else in here watch Lost? Yeah, yeah. A couple, a couple. Did you like the ending? No, I, I did. I did like the ending. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, all this to say that, like, we even had a party for the series finale where we all dressed up as our favorite characters. Um, so, <laughs> so, a couple years ago, we caught a preview of a show that caught our interest because it had some lost-esque elements to it. And that show's called Manifest. Now, without giving too many spoilers, the basis of the show is that this plane takes off from Jamaica, going to New York, and they hit some turbulence. Now, no, they do not crash on a magic island with a smoke monster. The plane actually lands in New York, but the FBI's there to meet them. Something happened when the plane went through turbulence that somehow sent the plane five years into the future, but to everyone on the plane, it was as though no time had passed. It's weird. Weird, but very fun. 
Anyway, the reason that I even bring this up is the name of the plane is Flight 828. And so the characters start trying to connect things to this, like, oh, what's going on? And they come across Romans 8.28. And that says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Pretty cool premise for a show, except that they don't use the verse correctly. They say in the show that it says, all things worked out together for good. And that's just not what it says. You can tell, like, this is a real pet peeve. Like, we, we would watch the show, and they'd get to that, and I'd feel my skin just, like, jump every time. they like, it's okay, remember, all things work out together for good. Like, that's not what it says as you're doing your sinful actions. Anyway, all is to say that our last verse is going to be Romans 8.28. This about, the verse gets commonly misquoted just like how they use it in the show. It's a verse that we throw out at people when they're going through hard times in their lives. So similarly to how we did the first two verses, let's look at how this, to take a step back and look at this verse from its literary perspective. Is this a proverb? No. Is this a compilation of stories about Paul? No. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Now you may be thinking, come on, Jacob, we already know that. Paul, all he does is write letters. And you're right, he does write a lot of letters. But we have to take a time to acknowledge what each literary form is to get a grasp of the idea being expressed. In our proverb, we're given a little slice of life statement. And in the compilation of stories, you can just pull out one of those stories and it has a beginning and an end. In a letter, we're, we're looking at how we must recognize that back then, this wouldn't just be something that you pull one sentence out of. They would have sat down and read the letter start to finish in its entirety. Maybe not this one because it was so long, they would have taken a break in the middle, but in general, when you get a letter from someone, you don't just stop reading after a couple sentences. I'll come back to this tomorrow. So the, the whole writing, it takes... Uh, so that the continued thought, if someone was writing about something at the beginning, the continued thought would be shared throughout the letter would have been understood, the connections. The point of this letter is that Paul's written to this church is to unite the Jewish and Gentile believers that were having disagreements amongst each other. This is where we get the lovely verse in chapter 3 where we talk about all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I love how this is Paul's go-to here. He's like, all right, I know you guys say that this guy's wrong and they say that you're wrong, but remember, we're all awful. So let's humble ourselves because we all do need the Savior. Paul then talks about the, how we are justified through the death and resurrection of Jesus versus following the law of the Old Testament. And then we get to chapter 8. Now, there's so much in this letter that we just don't have time to cover it all. I mean, it's, we're just in the first half of the letter. There's still an entire second half, and we just don't have time to cover all of it. So we're just going to focus in on chapter 8. Romans 8 begins with Paul telling us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
He tells us that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, and we are free from the bondage of sin. As children, we gain a new identity and can glorify the one who gave us hope. Then we come to verse 28. And and we know that God causes all things to work together for for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. First thing is who is this verse written to? It is to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And who are these people? The adopted sons and daughters of God. Unlike the Jeremiah verse, this is actually written to us. We are Gentile believers. It's meant to encourage us. This is not a verse, though, that is written to non-believers. And how, do we, how can we come to this reality? Well, it was a letter written to the church in Rome. So if it's a church, that would mean that they were already believers. Now, I think one of my favorite parts of this verse is the first two words of it. We know. This starts us off with such certainty. Well, I guess technically it's not the first, and we know. We can just skip the and and go to we know. (laughs) It starts off with such certainty. Paul had no doubt that God would work things together out for good. Paul was a man afflicted that suffered through much, yet he still says, we know. This is an amazing truth. Do we actually, do we have that much certainty in anything in this world today? In 1789, Benjamin Franklin was updating a French friend uh, as to the status, current status of how America was going. And he wrote this very famous quote, and many of you may know it. Our constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise that it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Well, I'd like to add one more thing to that list in bright and big, bold letters. Nothing is certain except death, taxes, and the one true God. He has proven himself to his people time and time again. One of the hardest things about this verse is the God works together all things for good, peace. Because there are many things that we cannot see good from good things coming from. But I'd like to remind you of the story of Joseph. Let's go through the list of things that happened to Joseph. Uh, He's hated by his brothers for being their father's favorite. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's lied about, accused of rape, and then thrown into prison. Yet God was able to use it for good. Joseph says so himself in Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to keep many people alive. Now, I want to look at this verse and its context for a little second. This is Joseph's brother. This is when Joseph's brothers come back to him. They're scared that he's going to hold a grudge against them. I mean, I can't imagine why. They only said he was dead and sold threw him in a pit and this is here's what Joseph says to them so this is 20 with 19 and 21 do not be afraid for am I in God's place as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive so therefore do not be afraid 
I will provide for you and your little ones. I wanted to read this because I think this is a beautiful example of what forgiveness is. Joseph could have very easily just turned his back on his brothers and just said, no, 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 get out of here. But he didn't. All right, back to Romans. The last thing that I want to talk about is in this particular verse, scripture, is the last piece where it mentions those according, called according to his purpose. And I'd ask, what is this purpose that Paul is talking about here? Well, let's tie in verse 29. It reads, and we know that God provides... God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For us to be conformed to the image of his son, his purpose is for us to become more like Jesus. So I found this really cool quote uh, by this pastor uh, that I wanted to share. Yes, Dylan, yes. This is from Pastor Adrian Rogers. He said, many times this promise has been trivialized, talking about Romans eight twenty eight. For example, someone may be driving down the road and blow a tire out, and the person may say, oh, well, the Bible says all things work out together for good. Maybe there's a sale on tires. And this isn't what the verse means. The good is not to make us necessarily healthy or happy, but to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. If the goal of our lives is not to be like Jesus, that goal is too small. Our goal must be conformed to the image of God's Son. Romans 8.28 may not be the ver easy verse that many portray it to be, but there's real encouragement and for Christians and reminders of what we're supposed to be doing, trying to look more like Jesus. So the whole point of today, as I said at the beginning, was to give you a practical example of understanding these verses that could be interpreted one way or another, but finding the truth that was inside them. How are we to know what the word of God means without spending the time necessary to look and dig for its meaning? Second Peter 1.3 says, For his divine power has granted, us, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And one of the best tools that he gave us to accomplish this goal was the Bible. So together, let's pursue that, this goal. If there are scriptures that you want to talk about, please don't hesitate to ask any of the leaders, I just volunteered you leaders, uh, and myself, and we'd love to break them down with you.